Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's never felt closer to Dr. Mama Finkley, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? It was real, you know? Like, sometimes you you forget when you're so inside of something, you forget how great it is. Uh, you know, you can... Worry about the minutia. You can you can try to change small details of life, and and sometimes living in Texas, as uh, I have done for the past thirty years, um, and change, uh, you you forget. You know, there's things that could be better. There's things you wished were better. Things you wish were changed. But seeing someone like uh, Mama Fink come into Austin and walk into the the honest to God marvel that is H E B, uh, our great uh, chairman of pandemic response. Um, and and see just her amazement at it compared to the options that they have reminds you the small things that are taken for granted. Uh, when you come to Austin, you're not just getting first-rate education; you're you're getting all of the benefits of the lifestyle that the city of Austin and more importantly the city, the state of Texas provides. The one thing that my wife and I always like lament every time we we go visit and then have to come back is like when you hit the 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 HEB line on. I-35 going north, it's like, oh, our last chance to stop in. Anything we need before we go, anything at all? It, it's just, it's it's so tough. Mm-hmm. There's no replacement for, let, let's just say, it, I think the best grocery chain uh, in the country. But we're not here to talk about groceries and the top grocery store in the country. We're here to talk about the top baseball team in the country, Texas. Mm-hmm. Took on the Rice Owls, which you could probably get both Rice and Owls if you needed them at a Super HEB, but that's neither here nor there. We'll talk about baseball. We'll probably at least spend some time talking about basketball because, well, they're paying us to do it even though we may not want to. We'll down the 40. Uh, a lot to down this week and down the 40. A lot of action on the 40 acres. We'll obviously have some burnt orange lenses, a lot of non-campus longhorns in business, and we'll close the show out with some bang the drum. So Texas. The king stays the king, taking on a team with more baseball national championships than Texas Tech. The Rice Owls, number one Texas baseball, absolutely dominates. What's not a bad Rice team, but they're definitely not on Texas's level. 36-3 to cumulatively over the weekend. Kyle, there's a lot to talk about. We could talk about the pitching. We could talk about the hitting. But I put it out there on Twitter, and, and fans from all over the globe got upset at us but like texas is rolling out an incredibly dominant team and when it's all said and done this could be a dog pile and omaha type team this could be a all-timer team for texas and they looked every bit of that part in all three games this weekend the reason we always say right like you you get to omaha and then you know the chance to win a title begins you have to get there and I think this there's two seasons in the season. There's getting there, and then there's winning it. Because once you get there, any team can win. It can. It's it's a wild uh, time. It's it's a tough thing. The best team doesn't always walk away and win. But David Pierce has done a great job in his time at Texas. He's done a great job with uh, 
getting the most out of teams, switching between ace arm small ball. But when you have a a stacked team that's already good, like I'm I'm very scared what the most out of this team looks like. Is it seventy runs in a weekend while giving up zero? I don't know. But like legitimately, and joking aside, I, I think that this is probably the best roster that he's had, and they were a few outs away from you know, winning or playing for a national championship last year. So, um, you know, assuming no injuries, nothing crazy, like th- this should be a team that at least gets to Omaha. We know that. It, 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 getting there and then it's a whole season number two, postseason baseball, uh, you know, then you have to win that season. And so I don't want to tap anyone, you know, crown anyone champions, but, you know, this was the number one team in the country, all the hype in the world. Texas fandom over the past few years was ready for like a letdown or something not to be perfect or to eke out, you know, uh, a couple of eight to five wins or something, you know, just like for, for something to go terribly uh, askew. And for the first time in what feels like Texas history, nothing went askew. It's a good feeling, Kyle. It's a good feeling when you're set up for disappointment. And again, there still could be a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of baseball left to play. And being a Texas fan is sometimes um, like playing – it's almost like watching my son play the game Concentration, where the, the the anxiety builds as he puts pieces in, more and more pieces go in, and the anxiety builds slowly, and then all of a sudden there's just this massive moment of, oh, crap, let down, and I'm frustrated. But that's not what we got from Texas. Let's go game by game quickly because we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, Pete Hansen did Pete Hansen things on Friday night, pitched a six shutout innings, three gave up three hits, only walked one, struck out eight. The bullpen came in big as well. It was an absolutely dominant performance from the pitching staff on Friday night, which is what we expected. And if you want to go back to our baseball preview last week, this is kind of what we anticipated seeing. Getting a shutout and opener, perfect. Can't start any better. Um, getting, you know, Pete Hansen, the Friday guy, looking like Pete Hansen, who no one could, could touch last year, you know, uh, great. Like, you wanted everything there. They didn't show a lot of power in the first, and we'll talk about the second game immediately, but they showed good starting pitching, good bullpen, uh, and having at least one or two guys really step up. In this game, it was Silas Ardwin, who uh, went three for four with three RBIs, uh, had a solo homer, a two-run double, just looked like uh, – we said he was one of the best catchers in, in the country in our season preview and focused mainly on his offense and basically said if he could swing the bat, then he will undoubtedly be the best uh, catcher in the country. And maybe, you know, Silas, we know you listen to this. Thanks for, for always supporting the pod. Uh, maybe, you know, there was a little motivation there and he wanted to show Gerald and myself. I presume that's the reason, you know, I'm, uh, anyone would do anything, was to show us. And, and you know, good start there for, for uh, Brother Silas. Uh, this, was, this was a uh, – I mean, he also threw a runner out who decided to, to dare try to steal on him. Um, because you don't do that uh, ever. Um, and so, yeah, he just kind of had the complete start to the game. And I couldn't have been happier because, you know, I've said many times on this podcast, former catcher, I watched the catchers. That's that's who, who quarterbacks the game. Uh, and so a great pitcher and a great catcher, everything else falls into place. I mean, what more do you need? I mean, seven runs were scored. So, like, they got way more than they needed with that pitching performance. But it's just, it, again, Texas looked every bit the part of the dominant juggernaut team we anticipated, and that carried over into Saturday. Tristan Stevens, again, and Tristan Stevens is going to be the media MVP once again this year. Like, the dude is just, <laughs> like, there's no, there's no uh, lengthy time between pitches. He, 67 pitches in six innings, gave up four hits, 
struck out three, two walks. Like the guy is efficient, very, very efficient. And as, as you know, you and I haven't been in the press box in a minute, but you and I do this regularly and we try to watch as many games as we can while also maintaining a healthy marriage and personal lives. It's helpful when Tristan Stevens can be that efficient on the mound and that's his deal. And it worked once again and he handed it off to the bullpen and they shut it down from there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there will be media writers telling their kids and grandkids about Tristan Stevens, no matter how he concludes his Texas career, just because uh, he is, is the sports writer's most beloved player. Like Gerald said, that efficiency is, is great when you have to write on deadline. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It's it's he had two walks, which is which is high for him on this one. Usually, you know, he's he's zero to one um, couple K's couple you know, uh, a lot of ground outs, you know, a couple fly outs and not a lot of danger. The most dangerous play uh, that could have extended innings was he let a, a deep one go to the wall where, uh, you know, Texas defense, we've said <laughs> their pitching's great. Their hitting's really, really good, but their defense is absolutely elite as well. Last year and, and looks to be very good this year. Doug Hoda moving to center field and picking up where he left off, uh, connecting to Mitchell Daly on a relay, who then turned around and pinged a perfect one to Silas, who tagged a runner out at home that was uh, for the only play of the weekend potentially. Honestly, I mean, it was perfect, right? Like that home runs are awesome. Uh, you know, strikeouts are we love to watch them, but that is an execution of multiple Texas players being inch perfect timing precise and getting that out i mean that's you love to see that as, as a fan of baseball and and so again when your defense is is firing your pitching obviously is good and your hitting is good i mean again that that's why people have this team number one and and after three games and after this second game there was nothing that said oh that's could be a weakness mm, 15 to 1 i'll take it it was the perfect dominant game from a number one team. You really can't be upset with it. And then dovetailing into into Sunday, you know, 14 to 2. Tanner Witt, proud of him, got his first career start, five innings, five hits. He's the only starter of the weekend to give up an earned run. Um, so that's a little no, I'm just joking. I wasn't even gonna try to continue that <laughs> joke, but like and this is what we talked about, Kyle, in the preview that Texas had some inconsistencies pitching on Sunday and seeing the Sunday pitcher throw the junk that Tanner Witt throws like this is Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator one style pitching staff where they're just walking through and mowing down folks without regard. And when you get to Sunday and the guy's throwing big league junk at you, like there, there's very few opportunities for a letdown in that Sunday game. It's easy to forget this is Tanner Witt's first ever career start, and he gave up a solo home run in the first inning of his first start. I kind of like that. Like, a little bit of adversity, again, against Rice, who is just no no offense to them. They have a new coach trying to rebuild a program, but just is not on the level of Texas. This was probably the greatest chance to face a little adversity, and so it came to our Sunday pitcher, who, you know, has big league aspirations and big league stuff, gave up that, that home run, and, and then shut him down for the next, you know, uh, 15 batters or so, uh, 14 batters. And so, you know, good on good on Tanner Witt. Um, I just want to point out in all of these games, right, I think the, the relief pitching was phenomenal. Um, you talked about, you know, only run given up by a starter. Of course, they only gave up three. They gave up one at the end of, of game two right at the end uh, in the ninth. But, I mean, you had Lucas Gordon coming in, a big prospect, throwing a, a perfect game. Andre Duplantier looked amazing in that second game. Uh, two strikeouts in his one inning. I mean, looks to be back and just an, an, a massive weapon. Uh, we saw Harrison and Blair, guys who didn't get huge, you know, uh, kind of touted and, and are just 
arms number eight, nine, and ten or something in this uh, in this ridiculously talented uh, <laughs> bullpen that we have. But then you have you know uh, Chrysler LeBaron coming in, throwing ninety nine <laughs> miles an hour in a ninety one mile per hour slider. And then oh by the way, because it's Sunday and he hasn't thrown at all, let's go ahead and, and put in Aaron Nixon to give him some work. Uh, and you know even though it was not a save opportunity, threw a scoreless ninth um, and and showed that ninth innings when he's there are foregone conclusions, right? And so it's just, it is an embarrassment of riches more than anything probably on this team as far as a strength against every opponent they'll face is if you get them out of their starters, get deep into the bullpen on a, on a Saturday or on a Sunday, they have so many arms and so much talent. Their, their guys, number seven, eight, nine, ten 10 have big league stuff. It'd, be, it'd have been weird if David Pierce came out of the first weekend of the, the year and didn't give let Aaron Nixon go to the bump. Like you have to let your closer <laughs> at least come out and, and warm up his arms. And we can't we can't talk about the Sunday game without talking about Ivan Melendez hitting the ball literally a thousand feet. Like That's right. <laughs> thousands of feet in the air. Two for four, six RBI, two walks. Both of those two were absolute bombs. Like bombs, bombs, bombs. You cannot say it any other way. Um, if he gets some protection at the plate, uh, if the guy hitting behind him can actually be a hitter and doesn't let teams pitch around him, like he could be a shoe in for many players of the year nominations with the way that he's hitting already. Yeah, and look, Texas hadn't had a home run. If you wanted to come into Sunday and say, what is the weakness of the team? What haven't they done? Well, they they hadn't they'd hit some doubles um, and had some extra base hits, but they they hadn't uh, had any deep ones. And you know, Melendez went ahead and remedied that with some sh- some just absolute monster shots. Um, there was the stat that thirty eight players have cleared that center field monster. Um, that the the batter's eye was raised from twenty to twenty eight feet last year. Um, so he's hit all of his three that he's hit over the monster uh, over the twenty eight the full footage. And uh, this this third one of his career after two last year made him the only player to ever put three over that monster. So I mean the guy is is historically uh, powerful with the bat. Um, and you're right, Gerald. He could he could just you know be in those postseason teams. If 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 you know one game a series, he's getting 500 foot shots. He'll 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 be on the national uh, kind of radar with no major league baseball. There were MLB accounts tweeting about him. It seemed like everyone associated with college baseball was tweeting about him. Um, you know, he Fox and and ESPN properties. He 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 definitely captured the attention of the nation with those giant shots. And it certainly doesn't hurt. My favorite thing about this Texas baseball team with some great walk-up music is the home run music. When Ivan Melendez hit those home runs, they had queued up My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. And somehow nothing goes harder than trotting the bases with My Heart Will Go On. I did not expect that, but it is exactly what I needed. You know what's still going on? That last home run he hit. I don't know if it's landed yet. <laughs> that ball will go on. Now, uh, Trey Faltini had himself a weekend as well, hit, the, hit for the cycle in the weekend, um, including two doubles, a triple, and his first home run of the season. Uh, Silas Ardwan and Trey Faltini accounted for 30% of the runs that were batted in in the weekend. Kyle, the baseball team showed out, and the fans 
absolutely supported them. And I th- Kudos to, to everyone who listened to this who's a fan who showed up or wanted to show up. I know sometimes it's tough to get to Austin if you're not there, but for the folks who showed out, um, 21,580 across three games breaks the opening weekend record at the Dish. 1990 series of the Arizona State was the previous record at just under 2,100. So kudos to all of uh, all of you. I'm sure there's a pretty massive crossover between our millions of listeners and the 21,000 who showed up. Um, but, uh, but no, truly, they, they had a show put on for them right 28 walks 11 extra base hits there was a good hitting show you got to see some like we said major arms um i just think um you know we talk about a great defensive team and great defensive guys and when arduan and faltini are your guys driving in runs it's like this is a complete well-rounded team and you should get out for midweek games you should get out for sunday games there's not going to be a bad day to see this team because if it's if it's a bad opponent, you're going to get to see some future stars and some really incredible players. If it's a really, really good matchup, you're going to get to see some guys play at their highest level. Um, and, and so it's just good baseball all the way around at the dish this year. And I like to see we're smashing records because we're the number one team. You should be supporting them. And I love that the Texas fans came out in force. I'm I'm really glad that, that these teams are getting the support. The basketball was disappointing this weekend, but the support that, that these non-football teams have been getting as of late uh, is has been up to the level of expectation that the fans held them to. And that's really all that we ask for. Next up for the Longhorns traveling to Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, beating those Island Aggies before welcoming the Alabama Crimson Tide to the Dish Falk Field. Now, we've got some good news and some bad news as we talk about Texas basketball, who are holding steady at number 20 in the country. They managed to outlast OU in Norman 80-78, to but once again, were unable to get it done against Texas Tech. This one was a little more competitive than the last one, however, 61-56. to Trey Mitchell missed actually both of those games due to personal reasons. No updates on that. He's still not with the team, but he hopefully our thoughts and prayers are with him, whatever's going on, Trey. Uh, we hope that you uh, can get what you need and get what you need done, and we'll uh, be here when you're ready. But it was an overtime game in Norman to cap off the season sweep for the Longhorns. Timmy Allen was once again the big show, but Andrew Jones did what Andrew Jones does against OU and absolutely refused to lose that basketball game. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of wild, right? Andrew Jones is good. He's he's great. He's been great for a lot of years on campus, but the way this uh that he's played against OU in his in his career uh versus how he's played against every other team, which he's very good. Uh I won't take credit. Will Bazer did the uh did the work on looking this up, but he's averaging four, almost four and a half points more per game against OU than every other opponent. Uh plus 8 from three, percentage from from deep, plus 7% better from the free throw line uh over two and a half rebounds better and almost a half a steal better a game basically when he sees the the crimson and creme he is uh he is locked in like literally a bull seeing seeing red um and he uh i i could not love him more for everything and and anything and his whole career and his story but the way he hates ou so deeply and passionately man i i i love it you and I have our own reasons for loving Andrew Jones, but combine that with like everything that man has overcome with his absolute and abject, I think he just like is fueled by hatred. Like I think he's, <laughs> he's such a nice guy, but he had like, he has that look in his eye against OU where it's like, I hate you and I refuse 
to lose to you. And so absolutely, it was just another incredible game for them. Christian Bishop also did his thing, 16 points, five of six from the floor, made all six of his free throws. Marcus Carr had a good Marcus Carr game. We'll talk about a bad Marcus Carr game here in just a minute. First overtime game of the season. Texas, I think the biggest difference for Texas in this was taking care of the basketball. They only turned the ball over nine times in that contest. Uh, contest. Five of them were Elijah Harkless, who might be one of the best defenders in the conference. Unfortunately, he will be out the rest of the year due to injury. But that dude was just in like it was a combination of like of white on rice and like a mosquito at a picnic. Like you can't just could not get rid of him. Yeah, Harkless might hate playing Texas as much as Andrew Jones hates playing OU, and I kind of love that. Like, he legitimately also plays his best games when he plays Texas. It was unfortunate that after the game, um, or I guess a day or two after the game, it was ruled that he was going to be out for the remainder of the season, which does hurt probably their tournament chances, and if they do get into the tournament, their chances to uh, to, to go on, um, because OU while a good team by the rest of the country's standards is a little bit lower in the Big 12 because there's some talent. Um, and again, if you're making a decision on a bubble team and, and it's OU without Harkless, that's a tough uh, pick. But yeah, this this was Texas's chance to go to overtime this year, which surprised me that this was their first one. And they won it out, even with tough play from, from Goldwire, from Harkless, from some OU guys who were trying to will them to victory, Texas was able to gut it out. And They've lost a lot of their close ones. You think to Seton Hall, you think to some of the early games where it was close and they couldn't muster it. And even though they tried to give Tennessee away, they've won against Kansas. They've won against OU. They've been able to do some things late in this one in overtime, in particular where they got a couple stops and shot 70% in the in the last frame. And so, um, you know, that it seems like the past two weeks it's been Kansas and OU in the in the beginning of the week and then a bad game at the weekend and that's 50-50 and maybe that's Big 12 basketball right maybe it's hard to do it back to back on these tough defense tough high energy uh energy sucking games but um you know similar as the Kansas win I thought this was a great win and this tells me as much about the upside and what this team could do in the tournament with their kind of some grit and some chance to uh, back against the wall, still make winning plays. Yeah. I think we, we saw that against OU and it was starting to, again, we talked about it last week. It felt like Texas was trying to hit their stride and, and try to hit their stride in the right moments. Uh, and then we saw what bad Texas looked like uh, against Texas tech. Texas went on a really big run to They were actually down big early, went on a big run late in the first half to, to tie things up and then went from the three minute mark in the first half to the 14 and a half minute mark in the second half. That's 10 full game minutes. Felt like 16 years um, without a field goal. And that was the story of the game, really. At that point, Tech was able to build some cushion, build some pad, and Texas was just unable to to overcome it. And thanks in part to hitting just eight shots in the second half. Like it was just an ugly offensive performance from Texas all around. Yeah, and and, and you saw some limitations to that Texas offense. I mean, how many times have we said on this podcast, if you're playing the the efficiency type game, tough defense, limit offensive possessions for both teams, you better you better convert on yours. And when you shoot 28% when you make eight field goals in the total second half, that's tough to do. And, and, and this is a game where they took certain players away. I mean, credit first of all to, to tech and Mark Adams and their defense, the way that we credited beard for taking uh, a Baji out of the Kansas game plan. It felt like they took Marcus Carr out. And when you take Marcus Carr out of the Texas game plan, again, 
he had 16 points the the game before against OU and 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 looked good in some clutch spots. When you take him out and you know Marcus Carr and Christian Bishop, who each had 16 points the game before, combined for oh for 11 in the game, uh, no made field goals. Uh, you know that that's uh, credit to Tech's defense, right? They made it hard, but Texas did when they when they didn't have their initial, which was Carr being able to to get the offense going and. and Carr really being unable to uh, beat his man and get the kind of the defense in that rotation, right? Like Texas, when when Devin Askew's on on the court, there are limitations. He's not looking to shoot. He's he's sometimes a little messy with the ball, but he he beats his man. And you saw ball movement, and you have with other guys who've been able to get to the paint, or when Carr's been able to do it, and the defense is in rotation, scrambling to shooters. You get open looks. You get good shots. And when that's taken away and, and Texas isn't running, and so they're not getting those easy shots and they're only choosing to do half court kind of offense against tech is number two right now in Ken Palm's defense. I, I, I would be hard pressed to think they, they, there's a chance that they're not number one. They're that good on defense. And, and so when they kind of strangle you like that and Carr can't do it, I mean, it, it took some Herculean indiv- individual play from a couple of the Texas guys who were here before who, who, you know, really wanted to win this one badly. And, and again, that's that's Andrew Jones. That's uh, Ramey, especially in the first half. Cunningham made some winning plays. Like, um, even Febris, right, like, was 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 doing some things. I think um, it took some big individual efforts to even keep this one close because Texas played bad enough that they could have been ran out of the gym. Yeah, and I think the, the stat that's the most telling for me and the one that Chris Beard probably kept him, kept him up at night uh, after this game was Texas – was good on the offensive boards. Grabbed 16 offensive rebounds, six second chance points. Like, that is the one that, like, just screams at me. Like, if you grab 16 offensive rebounds, you you absolutely should be in double digits, if not 15 points-ish off of second chance points. Like, you get fouled going up, or you get, like, something. And that was one of the things that I struggled with watching this game is that Texas got into the bonus early in the second quarter and then just stopped attacking the basket. Like, force them to make a call or take an easy bucket. Like, force them to foul you. And that, to me, was was frustrating. And that's part of the, the Texas Tech no-middle defense. Like, we get it. We saw that last year. That's part of what they do. But, like... You've got to get aggressive and you've got to force these Big 12 officials who suck in every sport. We know that. But you've got to force them to like take the whistle out of their doggone pocket and make a call. Force them to call. It's it's either going to be a charge or a block. And let's be really honest with you. Like, Here's hoping Texas gets at least some sort of home cooking. Tech, on the other hand, out-rebounded Texas by one on the offensive boards but got – 15 second chance points like that to me that that dichotomy right there is the game in and of itself essentially the same number of offensive rebounds Texas Tech got two and a half times the number of second chance points that to me tells the entire story of the game nail on the head you're absolutely right Gerald that's that is the difference right I mean I think it was a five-point game it was ostensibly a three-point game right like that should have uh I think it was at the end a three-point chance for 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 Texas in in the last minute right so this a three-point game uh, a one to two possession game and you're talking about nine points right there just off offensive rebounds uh you know in in uh texas again not getting any of the transition uh points like that's your easy baskets that's your easy money and when you when you're not doing any of the stuff that's the easy stuff i mean they were okay from the line 13 for 17 maybe you make one or two more of those it gets a little interesting but um pretty good i guess but uh you're you're leaving easy stuff out there basically uh in and, and against a team like tech which makes everything difficult like 
I mean, tech fans make it difficult to to have the internet because they're just so you know unintelligent on it. Um, Lubbock makes it difficult to enjoy life if you're in it, uh, and tech defense makes it difficult to be an offense, right? So, I mean, Texas Tech is an institution that was founded on making things difficult for everybody, including their own people. Um, but no, I mean, I will say one thing um, that's very difficult is stopping Bryson William. Uh, he, he's a guy who. Texas didn't have an answer for. I don't know that Trey Mitchell just instantly is that everything's different with him there. He just looked like when when they wanted to get him the ball and he got, I think, the first four points of the second half just by being big, being strong in the middle and getting a, a ball dumped into him when Texas, you know, either on a pick and roll, um, you know, couldn't couldn't rotate over or he just, you know, outmuscled his man. Um, but it looked like that was a thing that, that you know, te- that strength and nastiness inside, um, you know, and then and then getting scoring from the, the guys you don't hear about. Clarence, uh, no, Dolny, I think his name is, had 14 off off the bench, and I think he scored like 14 all season. You know, he's just not a good player. He's really not, which is why him talking all the mess, like, give it to him. He's a, a, a bag of certain kinds, but, you know, give him that chance that, that he did it, and uh, Texas players didn't like it, but go shut him up, right? Um, but, you know, it, Texas didn't necessarily get that from a guy. There was no Texas player. I mean, I guess Brock Cunningham would be the closest thing, had a good game, but it's like there wasn't just that, who's that, you know, ooh, this guy's going to have a night, you know, and, and it felt like that, again, was the difference where tech could uh, you know could could get it from from multiple places and places you maybe didn't expect I'll tell you like my dad told me when I got mad after a peewee football game if you don't like him talking mess don't let him beat you and that's like the moral of the story like if you don't want him to talk mess don't let him beat you so Texas takes just its second home loss of the year weirdly enough Kansas State the other one, which just seems super weird in hindsight. Texas falls to 8-6 and six for conference play uh, after dropping their second game to Tech. Currently sitting at 4th in conference and look pretty entrenched there. Closing out the season, they've got TCU on Wednesday and then West Virginia over the weekend. And then the last two games, uh, last game, Texas basketball game in the drum on against Baylor on the 28th. And then they close out the regular season at Fog. Going for the season sweep of the, uh, the Jayhawks in March. So now's the part of the show where we go around the rest of the campus and we highlight all of the incredible things that happened on campus. A bunch of them happened. And we down uh, the 40, starting with incredible things. Number 14, women's basketball absolutely takes the boots to number six, Iowa State, 73 to 48. I don't know why I love beating Iowa State so much, but it just feels <laughs> so, so good. And then head to Morgantown and walk out with a victory, 68 to 57, pushing their winning streak to four. Texas snapped a five-game winning streak for, um, of the Cyclones with the 25-point win there and just absolutely dominant performance. Again, another Vic Schaefer love letter game. Yeah, especially the third quarter where they outscored them twenty-two to nine. This was this was everything Vic wanted, right? They uh, they took a really good offense. This was the Vic Schaefer defense game, right? He held Iowa State team that uh, is averaging seventy-eight point eight points per game, eleventh best in the nation. Held them thirty points, uh, thirty-one almost uh, under their season. Average. I mean, that's just amazing. Um, it was great defense, but Texas won the turnover battle, nineteen to ten. Won the rebounding uh, advantage. Won in in scoring off the bench. Um, I, I thought this was just a, a really good game for them. Um, and and Rory Harmon's a player who. You, you can run out of accolades for how good she's playing as a freshman. Like, I just want to pause and remind everyone, 
Vic Schaefer despises playing freshmen. Like you have to be so good as a freshman. Like it, he hates it when his freshmen are good because he can't yell at him. Uh, you know, like he 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 does not trust freshmen. And the fact that his point guard Rory Harmon is a true freshman and is the best player on the team right now, and and just just going off night in night out. Um, she had a game high twenty points on nine of fourteen shooting, two of three from deep. She had nine assists in this one and became just the seventh Texas freshman in school history uh, to eclipse a hundred assists on the season. So she's scoring it, she's passing it, uh, she's doing it all. And again playing the defense that Vic wants or you don't see the court, right? So um, Rory Harmon just been been electric uh, here the past few games. We, we always have a shout-out our friend Audrey Warren, who also continued her streak of incredible play coming off the bench. 16 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 4 boards, and 4 steals. Texas, with the sweep of Iowa State, accounts for... Uh, we'll call it 66% of Iowa State's conference losses. Uh, and again, feels great to beat Iowa State. West Virginia, similar story, 67 to 58. It was the second quarter this time, though, for Texas, outscoring them 22 to 13. That basically just created the cushion for the rest of the game. And I'm just going to step aside and let Kyle gush about Rory Harmon a little more. That's right. This one almost, uh, last game was almost a triple-double uh, with 20 and 9. This one 19 uh, and 8 on the glass. Seven assists as well, getting inching close to a triple-double there. Um, there was some good play from some other players. Deanna Gaston and Audrey Warren again were great. Um, Aliyah Mathur and John Taylor put in 8. I want to I call out Shea Holly, right? A, a player who, again, as a freshman, really didn't play. She's from the Austin area, was a good recruit, um, really didn't play a ton as a freshman, has bought in and really doing the Vic kind of things and has worked her way really solidly into the rotation. She gets out and runs and kind of puts up eight a night. Uh, a lot of those coming in transition plays good defense. Like Just like you, you see players when it clicks, when the Vic ball kind of clicks, and it almost feels like for this whole team right now, um, playing Vic Schaefer defense, something about that win in Lubbock uh, for the women's team uh, that, that started this win streak, something clicked, um, and it just feels like this is the team, the way that they're playing that Vic wants and and it's at the right time because, you know, Vic teams seem to always get hot in March, um, and we are inching ever closer, so uh, I really like actually Though they're they're ranking, you know, as number fourteen, I like them as a top ten team right now with the way they're playing. And the right matchup could be another Cinderella run uh, in this tournament, even though this team is young. They have a they have a run in them for sure. I mean, last year was absolutely um, an overachievement, so we're excited to see what they can do uh, this year. The offense has only scored sixty seven points twice in the first eleven conference games, and then scored uh, seventy eight, seventy three, and sixty seven in the past three games. Texas nine and five in conference with four games left. Kansas State on Wednesday, TCU over the weekend. Kansas and Oklahoma State. We'll close things out. Last game in the drum for either basketball team is happening on March 5th against Oklahoma State. Hopefully the ladies can send the drum out with a win. Softball. Kyle, as a parent, the conversation I want to have here is this is very much like the I'm not mad, I'm disappointed conversation. <laughs> Texas softball, we had high hopes for, and they absolutely just got pantsed in uh, Clearwater this weekend. Uh, it's it's kind of a preview of an NCAA tournament field, and they were absolutely, the pitching specifically, was just absolutely not up for the challenge. Uh, lost 9-2 to to Florida State, who's number five in the country, 6-2 to two to number 25 Auburn. Number three UCLA was the closest game of the weekend, 2-1. to one. 
Number 24, UCF outdueled Texas 15 to 10. And then receiving votes, Notre Dame 9 to 2. Just an absolute murderer's row of really good softball teams. And Texas was not up to the challenge. Yeah, and, and look, that UCLA game, they had a, a Sports Center top 10 play by UCLA that that saved, you know, probably a run in that one in a one-run game, right? It's close. It's softball is a game of runs and a game of, of inches, right? Like I think Auburn got four runs in the first inning, got on top of Texas and and you know, that's the difference in the game, right? It, there was there was a lot of um there was a lot of tough kind of play in this one, but I would say a couple things, right? First of all, um, let's just not agree to play in any tournaments in Florida again, right? Like, let's get that out. I know the beach is great. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe you're having crab legs. Um, I don't know, but uh, let's just not go to Florida for any more tournaments. Uh, I think we can all agree to that. And then second, look, go back to the other sport that plays on a diamond. We already talked about baseball a year ago, and that was a situation where the freeze and some of the other things were a little bit crazy, but you saw Texas baseball just get outmatched outclassed and and look like it was a humbling experience for that team um in the shriners invitational in, in minute made last year and, and david pierce said you know burn the burn the film of this don't watch it don't think about it that's not us we're not going to learn anything from this from this tape we're a new team let's start our season today and again they were a couple outs away from a college world series so i'm not Coach White is a great coach. There's some a lot of talent on this team. Do they have things they need to fix? Without a doubt, pitching first amongst them. Um, they need to figure some things out. You know, if Haley Dolcini is going to be able to replicate her success, needs to figure you know some things out. If Sophia Simpson's going to be asked as you know maybe the best pitcher freshman pitcher in the country with a lot of expectation on her um, but you know as a freshman if she's going to be asked to do that she's going to have to step up. I mean, got to get. Shay O'Leary back to her best form, right? It's, it's, it's some things need to happen with the pitching, no doubt, you know, but you know, bail, bail your pitching out. They tried UCF when they put up 10 runs, but still lost, but you know, score some runs, do some other things, get, get some other, some bats going, you know, win some other ways, play defense, whatever uh, it is. Some things need to change, but there can be a hard reset. There can be a humbling, a mellowing and, and, you know, use the, the, the time after this, as we saw with Pierce's team to kind of, reset do that evaluation and say we're better than this we don't accept that this is our level and we're going to be better yeah i need Haley dolcini to to just erase this weekend from her from her memory she got rocked not once not twice but three times like just forget this happened move on just pretend the state of florida doesn't exist like we probably should anyways and just keep it moving <laughs> just keep it moving uh they've got an opportunity to get things back right this week they take on north texas uh at mccombs field on wednesday and then they're going to host the texas classic over the weekend that'll feature utsa texas state arizona state and tulsa number three women's tennis hard fought four three lost to north carolina state who's number four in the country on Saturday at home, Texas went one and two in the ranked singles matches and lost the doubles point. And that's really where things were decided. And, and again, this is another team that has a shot to make a deep run in a in an outdoor in the outdoor tennis season. Uh, and they've kind of had a early high water mark and we'll see how it goes. 
Yeah, absolutely. This was uh, North, NC State is a really good squad this year. Um, good in doubles uh, where they got the point. Jada Daniels has been really good. She's number 12 in singles right now, and Peyton Stearns beat her. And I just want to take a second to appreciate how good Peyton Stearns has been. She's improved to 11-0 and in, in singles play this year. So even though Texas has had a couple losses, she has yet to be beaten singles um, and now has another ranked win to follow up in the in the indoor nationals going 3-0 and uh, at number one singles in that time beating the number one player and the number 15 player, now the number 12 player in the span of 10 days. So Peyton Stearns has been uh, as good as advertised for last year's um, kind of All-American and tournament MOP. Uh, so now it's just a matter of winning some of the uh, down-the-ballot 2-3-4 singles um, and, and giving some help there. And they're going to play some good teams. Uh, the, that That is on the cards, and they need to uh, they need to just, just figure that out a little bit. But again, this one could have gone either way. They've got another chance to get back in the win column. They're headed to Palo Alto to take on number 15 Stanford on Friday. Number 14 men's tennis goes one and two at the ITN Indoor National Championship. Beat Florida, which always feels good. Won the doubles point and the singles wins. Micah Braswell, uh, Richard Ciamara, and then the clinch by Pierre-Yves Bailey over number three, Ben Shelton. But they fall to TCU for Love and Wake Forest to be knocked out of the tournament. That's right. Yeah, this was a really tough draw. They got number uh, Florida, who's number five right now, but they were most of the season number one, so that was a big uh, win for them. Um, it's actually a rematch that Florida beat Texas when they were one, and Texas was number three at the beginning of the year. Um, but they fell to TCU in, in a tough one, and then in the loser's bracket weren't able to get uh, a Wake Forest team that, you know, is is solid as well. So it'll be it'll be interesting where this team goes because oh my gosh, do they have a do they have a schedule coming up? Um, they get a week off. But then they take on, in Athens, number nine, Georgia, which is the first of four consecutive top 12 opponents over the next 14 days, three of those on the road, one of those against the number one team in the nation. Um, and that is a part of a larger stretch of 10 consecutive top 20 opponents. So you'll find out a whole lot about who this Texas men's team is. And I think it's going to be good for them when when the tournament rolls around because they're going to see a lot of their opposition uh, basically over the next three or four weeks. We'll know. We will know by basically um, April what this Texas team is absolutely made of. Number one, women's track and field. Number three, men's track and field. Set school records and national leading times as they prep for the Big 12 championships coming up. Just a big weekend overall. After her first competition on the Longhorn, Tyra Gittens claimed Big 12 Female Athlete of the Week honors uh, at the Tiger Paw Invitational. Transfer from A&M, that's right deal with it. I uh, won the high jump with a record of 1.88 meters. That's six foot two etching her way into Texas history after just one meet. That's the number four performance in school history and a second in the NCAA all year. If you are six foot two or shorter, <laughs> she could jump over you. Just deal with it. She could jump over both Kyle and I, regardless of what his license says. And we'd have to deal with it. Uh, there's a six in there. It's not six two, unfortunately. Um, I, I just love that. You know, this is this was in Aggie. She did not win it, but her and uh, Tara Davis were both two of the three finalists for the the uh, Bowerman Award. Um, so they basically Texas took 
you know, one of the three best women track athletes in the country last year um, from A&M. And she's just a grad transfer, so she put her time in an Aggie. But, you know, this is your reward. You get to celebrate. You get to have a nice thing after four what must have been tough years. But there were some other uh, some other awards or uh, records this this weekend or over the, the past basically week uh, that, that were shattered, Gerald, including this next one, which, you know, I want you to say because this is your boy. This is this is your 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 one of your favorite Texas athletes of the past uh, decade, I'm sure. It's good to see. If you don't know, my dad is, a, is an immigrant to this country. He moved to, here from Barbados. And so did Jonathan Jones. One of them is significantly faster than the other, though. Jonathan <laughs> Jones won the men's 800-meter dash uh, with an NCAA and Texas program record time of 1 minute, 46 seconds, and 93 portions of a second uh it's a 13 year old record uh and set the barbados national record time my dad actually somehow found out about this he's not on the internet really but he like texted me (laughs) apparently i I guess he he got an email from a barbados newsletter that was talking about jonathan jones have you heard about this amazing listen to my podcast appreciate the support amazing That's incredible. I, I just always assume that every Bayesian is so proud of Jonathan Jones. I'm glad to hear it confirmed that your father, uh, one of the, 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 the not, I will say not the most online human being that I know is, is, is also receiving this from his, uh, from his, his newsletters of the island. That's beautiful. I'm so happy. That's my favorite thing all night. Running through the rest of the results, Brooke Jaworski broke the Texas women's 800 record that had stood for 22 years at the time of 2-4-22. Uh, Smith competed in her first collegiate triple jump and broke Terry Turner's 36-year record in the process with a jump of 13.94. That's the third best jump in the college this year. The women's 4x4 relay of Stacey Ann Williams, uh, Rasadat Adekele, uh, Davincia Patterson, and uh, Kennedy Simon recorded the fourth fastest time in program history, which is the second best time in the NCAAs. The men's DMR team of Creighton, Creighton Carosa, John Moss, Cole Lindhorst, and Cruz Gomez recorded the second fastest time in school history at 9.23.99. Cruz Gomez back again, and Yassine Abdallah broke Yusuf Bisman's mile program record. Um, Gomez actually now host, holds the Texas record, uh, and then Abdallah is right behind him. And if somebody beat me by 44 hundredths of a second, I would actually fight them. Like, I don't care if we just sprinted <laughs> a mile. I would take a moment and fight you. It's fine, though. It is what it is. Not only beat you by that much, but beat you for the school record. You would have had the school record had they not beat you by those 44th uh, of seconds. It's like a um, step. We will now we will now show you how fast a forty fourth of a second is. There it was. It was done. Um, <laughs> Big Twelve indoor championships will be coming up. Uh, all those folks we just mentioned will be competing in Ames, Iowa. Number eleven women's golf finishes fifth in the opening tournament of the spring season. San Diego State's Lambkin Invitational. Ten ranked teams, including the top ranked team in the country, Stanford. Uh, Bentley Cotton tied for sixth in the individuals. Texas will be back on the links next week, a week from Monday, February 28th through March 2nd at the Darius Rucker Intercollegiate <laughs> in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Rock me like a wagon wheel. His version is not the best one, but I like to piss Kyle off. Yeah, you I'm going to let him cry if you uh, you keep that up. Um eh. <laughs> Gerald, I, I literally, when I was putting out the notes, I chuckled and I said, I can't wait till Gerald reads that this is the Darius Rucker intercollegiate. Uh, real quick for the listeners at home. I know we're, we're going long this week. What's your favorite Darius Rucker karaoke song? Oh, man. 
hold my hand is probably a good one because like you can get the audience in it like the last chorus that kind of goes acapella yeah let her let her cry always seems like a good idea till you're singing it and you're just shouting out to the crowd uh let her cry our friend of the show mario and i tried that once uh at a, at a bar in our hometown and yeah it was okay it was okay <laughs> Oh, man. So in the recently released 2022 Arnold Palmer Cup rankings, uh, Sarah Kusakova is currently eighth. Buyan Park is at 25th. So Texas has two in the top 25. And so the top six golfers from the Springs final rankings from both the U.S. and the international uh, areas will compete in the Cup at the end of the season. Defending, defending national champion rowing, shocking, picked as the preseason number one. Uh, but it's the first time to start a season as the top program in uh in the country in school history. Gerald, they received 19 to 25 possible first place votes. You know who still stole them? I'll give you a guess. It's our hated director's cup rival. Stanford. They're gunning. This might determine the director's cup. Rowing might be the differentiator this year. So uh, I don't know. Get out and cheer on at a regatta when, uh, when it's in Austin. I, I've never been to one. I think that would be an amazing thing to watch live. It would be absolutely fun. Another two, Sports, though, that may have a lot to say about the Director's Cup final standings. Number one and number two, men's and women's swimming and diving, respectively. Going for a conference championship this weekend. We say this weekend starts on Wednesday. So, like, the day after you're hearing this, through the end of the week, Texas will be competing for conference championships in the pool. All right, Jared, let's do a quick uh, look at the world through burnt orange lenses. Want to start at the All-Star Game. Uh, truly a, a fantastic finish to the All-Star Game. LeBron hitting a walk-off in Cleveland. Uh, team Durant uh, lost to Team LeBron in, in Cleveland. Again, hometown cooking, and, and Durant was injured, so Team Durant actually did not have their, their captain playing. He was there in spirit. Um, the other hometown hero, who I might talk about a little bit later, spoiler alert, Jarrett Allen. Um Put up 10 points, 9 rebounds, 2 blocks in the uh, in the win. He was on Team LeBron. And Jared Allen uh, put the clamps at the end of the, the game uh, on uh, a certain player who dunked on him and went viral, uh, Joel Embiid, and uh, asked him after the game if, if Allen took it personally. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, you know, wasn't going to let him dunk. Again, clamped down Joel Embiid, who is, who is I think, the leading scorer for, for the other team uh, in the last, like, minute and allowed – his team to win. It's an all-star game, but it matters in like the last five minutes that they get really competitive and LeBron likes to win, especially in Cleveland. So you can think Longhorn for life, Jared Allen. Uh, another news uh, of, of former Longhorn head coach, Charlie Strong hired to be the linebackers coach at Miami. Gerald, are you worried that Charlie Strong is just going to recruit uh, his, his pants off and be an elite position coach? Cause I mean, he could do the heck out of those things. I mean, Charlie Strong, I think, absolutely has an opportunity to um, rebuild the reputation that was uh, tarnished by his last two stays. I, I I don't know. I think Charlie Strong is a good coach in there somewhere, and I think um, he was hoping Texas was going to have too many head-to-head battles with him. Um, speaking of battles that Texas won, four-star 2024 uh, athlete slash defensive back, uh, Aaron Bubba Hampton committed in the wee hours of Valentine's Day. I think it was like right around midnight, 1230, uh, got the drop on this one. Um, and East Texas kid from Dangerfield. I think he plays receiver and cornerback mainly uh, in his first two seasons there. Um, w- w- what are you thinking about Bubba Hampton uh, being our second commit in this 24 class? I think it's weird that Texas has so many 24 commits when they don't have very many 23 commits. I think that's my biggest conversation piece about, I don't know. 2023 is like the, the dam is waiting to burst because we 
Mm. Arch Manning's going to be the first domino regardless of where he ends up, and then that 23 class fills up pretty quickly, but or doesn't fill up pretty quickly. But I think Bubba Hampton is a kid who um, you're going to have to recruit him wire to wire. Let's just say it like this. The, some of the conversation <laughs> around his, his commitment, um, but he's a heck of an athlete, and he's somebody that Texas prioritized, and, and um, I think you're able to build around these talented guys and get, get a couple vocal guys, a couple of guys with um, – Good social media skills. We saw that in the 2022 class, and, and good things can happen. Uh, Blake Gideon is so far the the main recruiter on all the commits in this 24 class, and also uh, landed child number two this week. Um, so uh, congrats to to Blake and his family. Uh, on to guys on the football field, but those who kick the ball. Punters, I believe they call some of those. Punter Ryan Bushevsky is in the transfer portal as a grad transfer. This was not an incredible surprise because he he did walk on senior day and posted a pair of kind of thank you Texas uh, Instagram or social media posts uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, the surprise came when it seemed like maybe uh, there was another Aussie entering the portal. Gerald, what what happened here? So I don't know what where the clerical error happened, but. Um, Isaac Pearson was initially in the portal apparently, and then they removed his name from the portal and, and entered in Ryan Bushevsky. That was like the story. <laughs> like we knew Bushevsky was gone, but like, right. Pe- Pe- and Pearson being like, and again, you and I can say this cause like we've talked to him. We feel kind of friendly with him. Like being the nicest person in the world, he just like responded yeah. to the tweet and was like, no, I'm not leaving. Like that was just the way that he refuted. It was just the nicest, most like Australian thing in the world. Uh, He's painfully polite and such a nice guy, but like, it was just very, it's very funny sequence of events. Yeah. He's so chill. He's like, nah, mate, just uh, going to keep kicking here in Austin. That's really bad, Ryan. I know, I know you actually out of everyone might actually, uh, yeah, Isaac might actually listen to this podcast. (laughs) Uh, So if you are, I apologize. Uh, I will not do, come on and teach me how to do a good, uh, Aussie accent um, but no uh, so glad he's coming here I think Gerald and I both had a mini heart attack because we love Pearson and we're excited with Dicker gone it's his time to absolutely shine uh, as the, the punter from down under so the most important um, position battle of the offseason already decided that's right Yeah, and, and again keep tuning for your punter news to the Longhorn Republic your favorite punters favorite podcast on to other sports where they kick things. See how I set that segue up before. Uh, Yeah, thanks. Soccer. uh, Featured a bevy of international call-ups this week. Lauren Oliver was called up to the senior national team of Haiti. Uh, Lexi, uh, Massimo, Trinity Byers, and new transfer Jilly Shimkin will all feature uh, for the U.S. U-20 team in the CONCACAF uh, championships. Uh, And Holly Ward will be representing Canada in the same tournament. Always love seeing the ladies uh, get the call up. Absolutely, and a, a lot of them is nice and, and spread around. You know, we got a lot of Canadians, a lot of a lot of uh, geographic diversity that gives us chances to, you know, one one day a whole tournament of Longhorn players from their their respective home countries. Uh, <laughs> on to uh, a Longhorn who's just crushing it and making us all proud. Hopefully, you're all following uh, this and you know where I'm going with this one. Jaskaran Singh advances to the Jeopardy Collegiate championship the finals air on wednesday and just just uh, making all other colleges feel inferior right we're usually better than you at athletics but we're most likely also smarter uh so you know just just good to know we're also more humble more humble but good to know we're, we're filling out uh the the full package of, of brains and brawn 
I feel like we should petition for this to count for the Director's Cup. That's just me. Let's just Ooh. keep it moving. But now that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha. And we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? I hinted at it earlier, but I'm just going to say, dear internet, leave our sweet, sweet boy Jared Allen alone. Um, we have adored him since his 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 afro and monster dunks and block shots and anchoring which we so desperately could use on this current texas squad uh in the middle of the the paint in the Irwin center we've loved this man for years he's gone on to probably a better nba career than any of us thought was was possible right jared allen we tweeted out um tongue firmly in cheek uh, when the the blockbuster James Harden trade that took him the first one that took him from the Rockets <laughs> to the Nets we we cheekily tweeted that the Cavs had won the James Harden trade because they acquired in that deal uh, Jared Allen from the Nets who again ironically is just the the piece that the Nets are, are missing right now uh, the Nets got got Harden the the Rockets got Karis LeVert uh, uh Curix and Dante Exum, a couple pick swaps, and I think they got two or three firsts in it as well. The Cavs got uh, Torian Prince, uh, a guy named Alexander Vizenkov, and Jared Allen. And, you know, it's like, a, it's kind of, you know, it's uh, ha ha, the Texas uh, team is saying that. But, like, Jared Allen is really, really good. Um, and, and he was really good at the Nets there for a while, and he's, he's really, really good with the Cavs. In fact, I saw a stat for the stat heads that uh, opponents are shooting 15.4% worse when they're less from six feet from the basket. When Jared Allen is on the floor, he's averaging 16 points, which I don't think people necessarily thought he was a plus 15 points per game guy and 11 rebounds per game this season. He legitimately um, could be the reason this Cavs team makes the playoffs, right? He and So in a hometown all-star game, he made the playoffs. It's great. But that is not why Jared Allen was all over the internet. Jared Allen rolled into not even the, the, the premier part, but one of the early events for all-star weekend uh, in what I would call Cleveland casual. Um, <laughs> the, the man just signed a $100 million contract. He got the money to buy or wear whatever he wanted. But he showed up in, you know, like a... Something that probably half of the listeners of this podcast are wearing right now, if they are wearing all of, of their clothing items. But, you know, a casual uh, kind of shirt, sweatshirt going on. Uh, some real casual, I'll call them teacher pants and some, you know, some casual uh, vans. Right? Look comfortable. Look like he was comfy. Uh, for whatever reason, the internet all agreed he was the main character of the day. It just decided to bully him relentlessly. Um, and there were some funny memes, admittedly. Uh, but Jared Allen responded and said, like, what am I supposed to do? Wear a $5,000 chain, you know? Um, but what I thought of in, in that moment was I, I, I am a lifelong fan of the San Antonio Spurs. I, I will probably, it's tough if you make, to pin me down between David Robinson, Manu Ginobili, and Tim Duncan, but just for, for what he did for the program and for me personally, uh, Tim Duncan's probably my favorite player of all time. But also, Tim Duncan was so far ahead of his time when Normcore was not a thing and Tim was rocking uh, Birkenstocks and uh, kind of European-style Jinko uh, Capris. Uh, way before any of those things were even ironically funny cool, um, Tim Duncan was was rolling into 
San Antonio's uh, big and tall store and asking for what they had on the discount rack and absolutely <laughs> was a fashion icon. And I just like to think that, that Jared Allen is saying, you know, there's a lot of players I could fashion my game after. I could wear a kilt a la Russell Westbrook, but then am I bricking shots? You know, I want to keep my 70% shooting percentage. I want to be dominant on both ends of the floor. Who is he emulating both on and off? Jared Allen in his first All-Star game channeled his inner Tim Duncan. And if I'm the rest of the NBA... Instead of laughing, I'm shaking in my boots or my Birkenstocks. So it's funny that you mentioned that. I had the first viral tweet of my life making a very similar argument. I tweeted out the Tim Duncan, uh, Jorts and Birkenstocks MVP picture. I was like, how are we talking about Jared Allen not having drip when, like, this is one of the greatest power forwards of all time? Uh, But, like... (laughs) The the greatest. I'm sorry, Joe. The greatest. uh, No arguments here. But, like... Jared Allen is a is a kid from Round Rock. Like, what do you expect from him? Like that. Like there. It's just he's chill. Like he's very chill. He's not like not, doesn't need to put on airs. He knows who he is. Like I'm totally fine with it. And there was a very endearing moment. This was my favorite Jared Allen moment of the weekend. So he was a, he was a reserve, and so all the All Star starters like get to have this big fanfare where they come up on risers and they get to gas themselves up. Jared Allen, being just the perfect pure human he is, asked the the facilities and the events crew if they could let him go up on the risers and do that with nobody in the arena. And so it was just like this cool moment of him like. Like imagining and realizing like what it could be to be a a starter in the All Star game, and I absolutely would love him forever if I wasn't already signed up uh, to do that. So I'm banging the drum this week on expectations we put on famous people and and people in positions of of authority and power. And so there have been a couple of incidents in the last couple of weeks where. Coaches behaved badly. We'll just go and say it based upon the expectations people place on them. A tech fan was yelling some stuff at Chris Beard. Chris Beard responded, and the kid did the most like I'm gonna I'm gonna cuss at my parents after they leave the room thing ever. Waited until he walked away and then clapped back and then tried to play the victim on the internet like a doofus. Tech fans were screaming stuff at Texas fans and then clutched their pearls when one of them told them where to do something with another thing on their own body. Um, and again, they played the victim because well. I can say anything I want to you, and you can't say anything back to me. Uh, And then Jawan Howard over the weekend, if you you didn't see this, you're not on the internet. Um, But Michigan was playing Wisconsin. The Wisconsin coach called a timeout with 15 seconds left in the game. Jawan Howard took issue with it. The coach grabbed him by the hand in the handshake line to try to tell him something, and Jawan didn't like it. Things escalated. And Jawan mushed that dude in the – well, mushed an assistant coach in the face, actually, not even the guy that grabbed him. Um – but there's this weird thing where we expect coaches and players and athletes and people on the internet to react in ways that we wouldn't hold ourselves to, where I'm going to be honest with you, another grown man grabs me and I'm frustrated with something they did, I would absolutely clap back at them. I would probably not mush them in the face, but I would definitely say, take your something hands off me if you want to really talk about this. Like, You don't grab another person. You don't yell profanities and swear words at people and expect them to just let it roll off their back. Like, We treat athletes and coaches like they're not people with feelings. And that's there's a longer conversation about dweebs on the internet who've never actually 
actually had to get punched in the face, like talking like they're tough. And there's a separate conversation there. But like we treat these people like they're not actual people with actual feelings that live actual lives or they're entertainment. They're they're movie characters and they're not. They're people. And so like the, the expect and I'm not saying Jawan Howard was right to do it. I'm not saying that Chris Beard was right to do it. I'm not saying um, that the Texas players were right to say what they said. All I'm saying is that like quit treating athletes and coaches like they're not people. Like they are people just like you and I, they have feelings, they have emotions, they have bad days. And so like be a human being and stop being such a jerk to people on the internet or sitting courtside, like stop it. Don't be a jerk. That's all I've got to say. Yeah. Uh, don't be a jerk. It's a great life lesson, but I have two points I want to, I want to make about Jawan Howard. One, I learned during this that Obviously, we always knew two internets existed, the the, the uh, Caucasian and, and the predominantly African-American or people of color internet. White people didn't realize that Juwan Howard didn't throw a punch. He mushed. I realized white people don't have don't understand about mushing somebody. Um, <laughs> and that was fun for me. Um, he didn't connect with a closed fist that would be considered a punch. He swung over and mushed a man's face, which, by the way, is 12,000 times more disrespectful. Like, mushing someone is just, it, it, it's its finishing whatever argument you have. I adored that part of it. Um, so that was fun for me. Uh, and second of all, like, I guess a police officer in a position of authority is probably the only other grown man who I would allow to stop me in my if my momentum and my walking is go, going one way and to put their hands and stop me from going that way. Like, I, I don't know that unless you're wearing some type of badge that gives you a certain authority, and there's another conversation for that, that any other man is not getting a mush in the face if he does that to me, especially one who has just agitated me uh, sufficiently prior. So, okay, I get it. Suspend him. Do whatever you need uh, to to Juwan Howard, but like the the the, the pearl clutching of like this man needs to be fired, twelve years show cause, thrown in jail. Like, relax, okay? Oh, just relax. Were people this mad when Jim Beheim killed a guy? Like, were people really this mad when Jim Beheim killed the guy? Like, that happened two years ago, and we're not talking about it. Like, standing ovation his first game back. Like, yeah, like this, 2019, we're not even, we're like three years ago. Like we are more angry about Jawan Howard mushing a man's face than we were about Jim Beheim killing a guy. Let's just pause and, and re-examine our priorities. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Well, you can find me on the white internet at Kyle Carpenter. Uh, you can follow the Texas pregamer at Texas pregamer. If you want to follow my my other internet account, it's Mushing Daily uh, with all the best no, internet. It's not. Um, no, it is not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. That doesn't exist yet. Don't Google Mushing Daily. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. <laughs> follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. You can catch, you can shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com, Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. I would mush Aggies and Sooners right in their face. Yeah.